Hallelujah. Jesus, I love you. Thank you, God, for your amazing love for us, not just in word, but in deed. How you demonstrated your love. You poured it out. Hallelujah. We say thank you, Lord, for your demonstration of love and the giving of your son. Jesus, we thank you for dying on that cross for us. It was our rightful place because of sin, but you bore sin and sickness, disease in your body for us, God. Lord, we honor you. We say thank you. And Lord, we declare not just with our lips, but with our lives, Jesus, we love you. May we ever be, God, those laid down lovers, God, who have said yes to you and lay our lives down. A living sacrifice is you gave your life for ours. Thank you, God, that we are resurrected with you in power. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Wow. I want to share this with you. I got this from... uh, Melita, during worship, uh, said he took me, he took my hand and led me to a place called Wonderful. He showed me his only son hanging on a cross, black with death and the sin of the world, past, present, and future. His body shook with the weight of the world, borne upon his shoulders. With With the strength he had left, Emmanuel cried out that it was finished. The ground shook with the sound of the veil being ripped down the center. Skies blackened, mourning the loss of God's only son. A soldier pierced his side, and blood and water poured out, birthing the king's bride. She was clothed in white. Her hair was dark, and her eyes were calm as the ocean sound. She was the bride of the lamb. And that's beautiful. Wow, and you go, okay. I mean, that scripture is pretty much a quote from, from an account of Jesus. But as I was praying today and just preparing my heart for today, uh, today is 50 days after Passover. Anybody knows what that is? Pentecost. Today is the day of Pentecost, is uh, what celebrated the day of Pentecost. And a lot took place historically on that day. But it was in uh, Acts chapter 2 that we see the fulfillment of, of uh, Joel. When Joel said, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on what? All flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. I, well, your sons, and your, da- on your sons and your daughters, your young men will prophesy. Your old men will see dreams, will see visions. Young men see. Anyway, Acts chapter 2. I'm butchering it just a little bit. But in there, it talks about that he... that. God is going to speak to his people, and this outpouring of his spirit will be where his people are here. So today, the prophetic words that came up, it's just an evidence of what Jesus said was going to happen when he told the disciples that in those last days, I'm going to pour my spirit out. 
And it'll come through a prophetic word. It'll come through an encouragement through the scriptures that are God's word spoken to us. Amen? Amen. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 60 is one that I can't get away from uh, over the past month. Uh, I can't get away from Isaiah chapter 60 where he said, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And uh, we've talked a lot over the past few weeks. We've talked a lot about uh, his light shining. And here's the thing that stirred in me. We can stand and gather and sing, and I want you to hear my heart. And we can sing, Jesus, I love you. Oh, how I love you. You are the one thing my heart desires. Jesus, I love you. But that love is demonstrated. John 3, right? For God so loved, what happened? He gave. He gave his only begotten son. So love, true love has an expression. It has an expression. And, and I, as we were singing that song, of Jesus, Oh, How I Love You, and uh, we had sang before about his love for us, and I was amazed at just how God desires and wants us to know of this love. He wants us to know of his love. He wants us to know not just uh, knowledge, but he wants us to know experientially so that he put something in plan. He, he did something. And, and as we were in worship, I was thinking about, uh, <laughs> I've, I've shared this somewhat before. My wife and I, uh, I don't know, we're probably 10, 12 years into our marriage, and we took a personality profile, and we did the, the five love languages uh, a little thing that you can do about your five love languages. Y'all familiar with that? Anybody familiar with that? If not, look it up when you leave today. Write it down, look it up. The personality profile, the DISC personality, D-I-S-C, it tells what, how you respond, how you're geared. It doesn't mean it's a ditch that you're stuck in because spiritual people have a problem with the personality profile because they think I'm boxing them in. We used to give personality profiles and, and administer them and things like that. People go, you're just... Boxing me in. And the reason they'd get mad is because they'd read it and they would eat their lunch and pop the bag. Because <laughs> it'll tell you how you're geared to respond in situations and circumstances. It doesn't mean that this is who you are and you're stuck there. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the problem. If we don't know our identity in Christ, we can do things like that. And they can mess us up because then we go, well, that's just who I'll always be. No, you're a new creature, a new creation in Christ. Amen. That's who you are. But in the natural, we are human beings and we have personalities. Every one of us has personalities. Amen. There are some that flow well with you and some that aren't the other. They don't flow well with you. That's just the reality of the life that we live in. As spiritual as we want to be, but inside of that, there are things that there are ways that we will respond because of how our personality is geared and things like that. And so I remember we were, like I said, around 10, 12 years into our marriage, and we took this personality profile, and we took the, uh, we read the five love languages, and it, you know, took the little uh, thing about, tell us about what your five love languages are, which is uh, touch, uh, words of affirmation, gifts, quality time, and acts of service. Thank you. I don't know why I put that one last, but anyway... We took all that, and when we did our personality profile, they read mine, and they was like, well, that's good. This is your personality. And they read Tina's, and they go, we'll come back to you. <laughs> and I'm like, what the world? Because, you know, I'm, and they came back to us and said, the reason we didn't read yours out is because we can tell from looking at your profile, you're stressed at home. <laughs> I'm like, what? 
what are you talking about? And our personalities were a lot different. Uh, the way that we interact is different. She is one that really guards and protects, and she'll just store it inside until, she can't, until her little cup just runs over. <laughs> and when it runs over, it's going to be messy. I'm the type, just come right at you, and let's talk. Let's, let's just talk about it. That wasn't good. Wasn't good. But that wasn't the big thing. Our love language was one of the things. This is where I'm going. I have a method to my madness. So we, they say that uh, she's stressed, and it was because our personalities were so different. She's one that notices a lot of details. She's one that uh, would just see those things and let them build up on the inside, not say anything about them. I'm the type. I would say something, and I didn't see the things that she saw. Um, adding to that, my love language is touch and quality time, my two leading love languages. Hers were acts of service and acts of service and acts of service. And then I forget what the fourth one was. A uh, little bit of quality time. Uh, so we were both saying, here's where I'm getting, we were both saying, I love you, but we were doing it differently and we were both frustrated. She would clean and, and keep the house straight, and she would do all these things, and that was her screaming at me, I love you. And I would sit on the couch looking out the window waiting for her to get home because I got off work before she did, like a little puppy with my tail wagging saying, she's coming, she's home, she's home, she's in the driveway. And there are dirty dishes in the sink from breakfast, right? Her thinking is, <laughs> I'm coming home. I'm going to have to wash dishes so that I can dirty them again when I cook his food. <laughs> and he's just going to be sitting there, probably hugging Brianna because she was little. <laughs> probably hugging, loving on Brianna, you know, just what, life is beautiful. And she wasn't that little, but she was small. You get the picture. And I'm in, in la-la land waiting for her to get home because I'm just going to love on her. She's going to sit on the couch and she's going to hold my hand. And I'm kind of like that dog. You know, you think after six or seven years and that not happening, you wouldn't just still look out the window waiting for her to get home so she could sit on the couch and hold your hand. <laughs> I didn't say I was the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> but she... <laughs> Somebody escort him out. <laughs> your, your service is over. Your service is over. Uh, but we were both saying, I love you. But we were saying it in different languages. She could have been saying it in French, and I could have been saying it in Spanish. And we were both just shouting each other, I love you. Because our heart's desire was to express that love. And mine, an, an, uh, one I love to give is words of affirmation. I love to encourage people, to strengthen people, to edify and build people up. So I would tell her, I would be waiting for her to just sit down with me so we could hug and hold hands. And I would tell her how much I loved her. And you know what all that was to her? Anybody ever seen Charlie Brown? Enough said. That's what it was. And we were saying, I love you. Each of us was saying, I love you, but it wasn't connecting. And we were, were not really able to express that love 
the way that it should have been. And we were singing all this about how God loves us and how he demonstrated it. And then, I mean, I had this picture. I could see that in my heart saying, us just saying, God, I love you. I love you. I love you. And is that important to tell him that we love him? Yes. Praise is important. Worship is important. But there's a practical side of just not just saying, God, I love you. There were things I had to do not to, to earn her love to, to, because she wouldn't love me if I didn't do them, but to express my love for her. There were things I had to do, and I had to do them differently. Does that make sense to anybody other than me? So there were things I had to start doing. So I started washing dishes. I started noticing things that I would look, and, and before it didn't make any difference to me at all, but I would look and see how she saw them, and I'd go, hmm, that needs to be done a little differently. I learned how to do laundry. At 20-something years old. <laughs> Hallelujah to the Lamb. But I... I did something in response. It wasn't enough just to say over and over, I love you, I love you, I love you, without an expression. This really isn't a marriage class today, but this is all free. (laughs) It's all free. It's included in the package. It's the bonus. Uh, But in relationship, it's one thing to say. It's another thing to want to know them and to know what makes their heart beat. And go, I want to do this, not because of what I'm going to get out of it, because of what I get to put into it to see you be all that God wants you to be. That's real relationship. And, I, and we sing, Jesus, I love you. And, and uh, hear my heart. That's so important to tell the Lord that we love him. We should do it all day, every day. It's just declare, God, you're good. I love you. I love you. But there's got to be that practical step when we walk out of just a word of affirmation into an act of service. Amen. And see, God is not unjust to say, I want you to show me. Romans 12, I bes- Paul writing, I beseech, I beg you, present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable one to God. Before that was ever said, Jesus said, go wait in Jerusalem because it's important. Because I'm going to give you someone, not something. I'm going to give you someone that's going to empower you to do what I've called you to do. His name is Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to empower you to do. And I was looking at that this week, and as I was studying, this is uh, Pentecost Sunday. You know, we can can look, and as I was reading it, different things, and just studying about about Pentecost and studying about what we have been already reading and looking at and what Tish brought. Did an amazing job last week. Thank you, Tish. That was awesome, awesome. Uh, What she brought last week about God's put something in you and you've got to walk. It's our responsibility to walk that out in a nutshell. And I really dumbed that down. I would encourage you to listen to the podcast because it was very, very good. But what he was saying and what she was saying is that in each of us, God has put his gift, his call, what we had talked about the week before in Ephesians 4. But it's our responsibility to be that light. Amen. And, you know, as I said, if... Isaiah 60, let me read this. Isaiah 60, I'm just going to read a few verses, not all of it. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Didn't say it's coming, right? Has come. For the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. And I I talked about all this a few weeks ago. I'm not going to go through and teach it all again. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles will come shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. I'm going to stop right there. 
Because as I was praying into this and just praying about this being Pentecost Sunday, if you look at the history of the church, Jesus said, you know who Jesus was speaking to when he said, go wait in Jerusalem uh, until you be endued with power? He was talking to the ones who had been walking with him. He was talking to the ones who he had sent out and they did miracles. Are you with me? But it was because he was with them and there was an empowerment to go and do. But he said, you go wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to give you someone that's important because when I go away, it's him. And Jesus even said, in modern terms, it's imperative that I leave. Because in my leaving, I'm going to give you someone that will be with all of you, not just me, with this small group. He's going to be with all of you individually to do what I've called you to do. So he told him, he said, wait. And he was talking to this group who had been with him, who had seen the works and had seen and had been used to do miracles. I mean, they broke bread and fed 15,000 people with what? How much? That's a lot of food. That's a lot of people. And it says that the, the, the miracle was done at the hands of the disciples, Right? You with me? Jesus blessed it and broke it, handed it to them. And as they went out, it just kept multiplying. It was done at the hands of the disciples. And he said, there's important that you go wait in Jerusalem because you're going to be endued with power from on high. I'm giving you light. I am the light of the world, but I'm leaving and you're going to be the light of the world. That's what Ephesians says. We just read this uh, last two weeks ago in Ephesians chapter four. He said this, you, you were once, verse 8, Ephesians 5, I'm sorry, not 4, Ephesians 5, verse 8, for you, once, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Isaiah says, arise, shine, for your light has come. Paul saying, look, you are the light of the world. That's who you are. You're the light of the world. It's our responsibility to carry that light. So on the day of Pentecost, they're there. They're in the upper room. They're praying. And this is just amazing to me. We were talking about it this past week in our pastor's prayer group. And we were talking about there's, there's a, um, a Presbyterian pastor in there. There's a Lutheran pastor in there. And we started talking about Pentecost. And they were stirred up. They stirred me up. And we were just talking. They said, you understand? It says it was like a rushing mighty wind. That's not a No, it's not what it was. They said it was rushing. It would be like tornado, hurricane force winds came in the room. That was the beginning of what made people, I, I, you know, I, I believe that it wasn't just heard in the room. If a tornado wind was blowing in this room, I think people outside this room would hear it. It's different then because their windows were open. They weren't all closed in. Their windows were open, so the, the noise would have gone out. But that noise, and there were people, they were in Jerusalem for this feast, the Feast of Pentecost. And you know what this feast celebrated uh, and remembered? It was the giving of the law. It was, it was the giving there on Mount uh, Sinai when Moses went up, met with God, and God gave the, the Ten Commandments. And it wasn't his desire to give the Ten Commandments. His desire was to call the people near, to meet with them and talk with them. He said, I'm be your God, right? His desire was to be their God, not talk to them through a mediator. But they said, no, Moses, you talk to God because he scares us. And then everything he tells you, we'll just do it. We got this. That's what they said to Moses. Did it work out well for them? No. They went, I'm still, I've read that many times this week and tried to wrap my mind around what that happened and what it would have really been like to be there with Moses being up on the mountain, meeting with God, airing down, and the people get restless. I mean, they've just been delivered from bondage. They just came out with silver and gold that wasn't theirs. It was the people that had beat them and held them down. They walked out with all of that. Moses up on that 40 days. 
Four days. That's a long time. I get it. It's a month and some days. Our time. Four days. But they got restless and said, well, we don't even know if he's alive. He's dead. We need something to worship. Aaron, can you help us? And Aaron said, yeah, give me all your gold. What was he thinking? I mean, I don't understand. I don't, un- I don't understand. I've read it over and over and over again, trying to understand. I don't understand what Aaron was thinking. I mean, I understand the pressure of people, and that's what it was. It was the pressure of all the people. And I looked at that, and I thought about where we are today, and I thought about the light of the church and how it looks like the light of the church is almost put out in America. And I go, why is it that way? And the Lord took me back to Aaron, who was a leader. He's Moses' brother, and he was a leader. Are you with me? He was a leader, and he allowed the influence of the people, the pressure of the people to cause him to do something that he knew wasn't right. And I look, and I look in America, and we're supposed to be still called a Christian nation. The poll, all these polls they're doing are saying all the Christians, 80 or some percent still Christians, and the things that we allow happen in, in our society and in our system, uh, our government and things like that, because we've gone dark. And I go, that's no different than Aaron going, give me all your gold. And then when Moses come down, what the what? I don't know. I threw the gold in the fire and a, and a calf popped out. <laughs> and he was good with that answer. <laughs> Help me, somebody. Aaron's like, <laughs> I mean, he was okay with that. He was in himself. He was okay with thinking that Moses was going to believe he threw gold in a fire and a calf popped out. He wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer either. But I looked at that, and I thought about Pentecost. I mean, Jesus said, you go wait in Jerusalem, not for tongues, not for a manifestation that's going to cause everybody to think you're drunk, but for power. He said, I'm giving you power. This is a gift from me to you. That's why I'm leaving. That's why I paid this price, so I can give you power. And... uh, Mark and I were talking earlier this week, and and I was talking about how God just continues to stir me about we are light. And light, when you go into a room, and the room can be dark, and you cut on a switch, what happens? Light overpowers. It it takes over the darkness. No matter how small the light is, it could be a little pin light, it overtakes the darkness. I said, so light has the power to overtake darkness. And Mark said, but you know what happens when you cut the light out? The darkness comes back. I said, I've never heard. I said, Mark, I'm taking that. I'm using that. He said, okay. <laughs> but you think about that. You, cut, you come in the room, you cut a light on, and there's power. Jesus said on the day of Pentecost, bam, I'm giving you something that the world can't stand against. The gates of hell will not prevail. And, and I was taught in Bible college, listen, I was taught that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, so we just got to stand our ground. That's backwards. The gates of hell not prevailing means they can't stop what we're pushing in on. <laughs> it means they can't stop what we're pushing in on. Not that, that and because my mentality was this. This is what I was brought up believing, right? That the gates of hell are charging against us and we're just going, they can't prevail. All we got to do is hold on. Jesus is coming. Blow the horn. Jesus is coming. Hurry up. Jesus is coming. It wasn't a position of power that said, no, they can't stop what we've got. Because on the day of Pentecost, Jesus turned on a light, boom, and it was every one of the believers. And they went out, and as they went out, that light affected the darkness. And the darkness didn't affect them. 
It did not affect them. They went out and they were lights. But throughout time, little by little, through persecution, through oppression, through difficult times, one by one, believers just slipped off their light. Well, if they don't know, I can live here. They don't know. Everything's beautiful. They can do what they want to do. Well, I'll just put a coexist bumper sticker on my car. And everybody can believe what they want to believe. And everybody's good. And I'm not offending anybody. They're not offending me. We're all good. That never works. It never, ever, ever works. Somebody's always going to be offended. I don't care what you do. Someone's always going to be offended. I don't want them to be offended at me as a person. But if they're offended at the gospel which brings life and exposes darkness, then let it be. Let it be. But as the church, our responsibility is to be, and that privilege that we have is to be that light, not to always uh, be confrontational. I love what Tish said last week when she talked about Jesus. She said, when I look at Jesus, I don't see him picketing the religious leaders. Let me, let me, as I was studying this and praying, the Lord spoke this in my heart. He said, we don't need more picket lines. We need more Pentecost. We don't need more picket lines We're telling what we don't like and picketing against what the enemy's doing. As I said a couple of weeks ago, is we are so bad at respond, reacting to what the enemy's doing instead of responding to the truth of the gospel. As we go out in light, there won't be as much darkness for us to fight, uh, to complain about when we're being a light. Amen. It doesn't say it doesn't mean it's easy, but it's not, it's not, uh, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. So God said, on the day of Pentecost, I've given you light, and you're supposed to shine. Isaiah 60, we just read, he said, arise, shine, for your light has come. And what did he say that that light would do? I took my place out. Hold on one second. Give me a minute. He said, rise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Jesus said in John 17, the glory you've given me, I've given them. We have his glory, his manifest presence. And he said here, for darkness, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. So from this one verse, verse 2, from this one verse, can we see that the, the Lord said in Isaiah that the world's going to be dark? Does that mean we should be distracted by the darkness? No. It means that we as a light should penetrate the darkness. And, you know, this week, there's some things that came down from the White House I just scratched my head. I had a tendency in the natural to get frustrated and to get angry. And you know what the Lord said to me? How much have you been praying for him? How much have you, Todd Martin, been praying for him, the president of the United States of America? How much have you listened to what everybody doesn't like about him compared to how much have you been praying for him? Because no man is beyond reach. No man is beyond reach. We're a light, right? We're a light. That doesn't just mean we go out and uh, we shine and we're offensive and all that. Sometimes our light shines brightest when we're in our closet praying. Mm, I got a few ums and an amen. 
Sometimes our, our light shines brightest when we are shining it from heaven to earth, not from earth up to heaven or from earth around to other people. But when we are getting the position of heaven, when we understand what Jesus sees and what he, how he feels toward, for God so loved that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, would not perish. So our responsibility is to pray. Sometimes being a light is praying, agreeing with God from heaven. I'm gonna, I need to get heaven's perspective. What's heaven's perspective on this? Well, it says for me to pray for those who are in authority over me. It's not a might or a maybe. It says for me to pray for those who are in authority. When they make stupid decisions, you pray. If I make a stupid decision, you know what your responsibility is? Pray. And don't come tell Tina. She probably already knows. It's to pray. That's our responsibility. That doesn't change. No matter what level of government it is, our responsibility is to pray. If there's a leader over you, and there will always be a leader over you. I don't care if you own your own business. I don't care what. There's always somebody that you're working for, whether it be a customer or whatever. There's somebody you're working for. There's somebody that you're dependent on and uh, that you, quote, unquote, answer to. It's our responsibility to pray for those who are in authority. How different, listen, how different just... Even if the situation with them doesn't change, how different would we be by spending time with the Lord praying for them than complaining about them? How much different is our perspective going to be on the the world that we live in, on the people that we serve under? If our heart, if we say, Jesus, I want your heart for this person. They're treating me like I'm in Egypt, but I want your heart for this person. How do you see them? They're hurting. They're lost. They're confused. They're as upside down as a goose in a hailstorm. That's not a good place to be. And he said, I need you to pray. That's a light. You know what? We can look at and we can look at what's not happening and be distracted, or we can look at who he is and say, God, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is. That was our heart. When we did the Azusa meeting, our heart was, Lord, that people would get a mind again to see from heaven to earth. That what happened on the day of Pentecost was not just back then. And as I was reading this and studying it, the book that I had read about uh, the Passover, I read it about Pentecost. And one of the things he said in there, it was like A.D. 300 and something, I think, when the church got uh, organized, institutionalized. Now hear me out. There were some good things that came out of it because there was a lot of wildfire and it was just going everywhere. There was no structure, no, no anything. So, and some of the people who helped institutionalize the church were just political people. They weren't spiritual people. You know, that's happened throughout history of, of churches and organizations is we will appoint people and give them a title who are good people, nothing wrong with the people, but they don't understand, first, their identity, and second, they don't understand the organization. Third, they don't understand uh, leadership. So they, they gain identity from their position, and they start dictating, and they, all this bureaucracy and all this other stuff so that makes them feel important, and they get in the way. And they try to get their identity from their title. And all that happened when the church was formed, there were political people, not just spiritual people. And they said, we need to, we need to put structure this. We need to institutionalize it. And little by little, from that point forward, the power of God, the light of God started getting switched off. 
And I'm not naming denominations. I'm talking about the church as a whole went to this place where it became dark because it shut off the very power itself. And it blames society. Well, the world's getting so much darker. Isaiah 60, he said that darkness is going to cover the earth and gross darkness to people. You think God knew what was happening? Yeah, it had been that way. Since the fall, it had been that way. He said, you were darkness in Ephesians. Not that you had a little darkness on you. You bumped into it. But you were darkness. That's who you were. That's what he said. And he said, but now you are light. And as, as light, we're supposed to make a difference. We're supposed to shine. And he said, men like darkness. You know why they like darkness? Because they don't always want to change their ways. Men liked darkness because their deeds were evil. They, they didn't want to see what was going on. It takes the Lord to, to soften that heart. And, and it's the Lord that draws men, that woos men, and calls them in. But people like darkness because you're able to just do what you want to do in the dark. But God is light. And we are light. And it's our privilege to shine like lights for Him. So the purpose of Pentecost was it so that everybody could shabadaba as important as that is? Because I'm going to look at that in just a moment. We're going to look at Jude chapter 20 and see the importance of praying in the Spirit because that's part of Pentecost. And I think that's part of why switches have been cut off, why lights have been cut off, because we haven't stirred ourselves. We haven't built ourselves up on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. We haven't done that because we think that's just for the extremists. That's just for those crazy charismatics. That, you know, I just want to love Jesus and I want to get to heaven. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. The church has become this place. Just let me and mine get to heaven and everything will be all right. And we've bottled up our little lights like we used to do, the little lightning bugs. Y'all remember that? You ever catch lightning bugs and you put them in the light? You know, if you keep them in there with the lid, it don't work. They die. They, you can poke holes in it. You put little grass strands in there. You know what they still do? They die. They ain't meant to be. It's not meant to be bottled up. But that's what we, we've tried to do. We've tried to bottle up. We want to come to church and we want to have these experiences. We can go, whoo. And the experiences are important. I'm not belittling an experience. I'm not belittling an encounter with God. But he said there's that place where you are the light and you take that light out and that light affects the darkness around you. He said, arise, shine, for your light has come. It's come. It's not coming. It has come. And in the, in the presence of the Holy Spirit has been given unto us. And he said, look, I want you to understand, we don't have to go back. This is Pentecost. I'm, I'm circling, okay? Stay with me. Pentecost, on the first Pentecost, they celebrated. It was on Mount Sinai. The law was given. You know what happened on that day? 3,000 people were killed. 3,000 people died because of their rebellion to God. 3,000. I was reading that. Have you read that? That's not cool. It's not nice. I mean, 3,000 people. And Moses came down and he said this. Who's on the Lord's side? Who's on the Lord's side? If you're on the Lord's side, come over here with me. And the other people who were like, no, nah, I'm going to do my thing. We're good. Moses said, you who are on the Lord's side, draw your sword. Go out and kill all them who aren't on the Lord's side. Your brothers and kinfolk and all them, just kill them. Because they're dark and they want to stay dark. 
and we can't have dark here. Isn't that beautiful? Paint that mural on your, on your baby's window, on your baby's wall. <laughs> Pentecost, the first one. <laughs> it looked like a 300 movie or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> so we, we go forward, and it's the day of Pentecost again. But this day, he said in Hebrews, listen to this, I love it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse... Uh, 18, for you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and blackness and darkness and tempest, 19, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words that, that those who heard it begged that the, wor- the words should not be spoken to them anymore. This is talking about the first Pentecost when God said, come to the mountain. And when God smoked it, it said there was fire and smoke and they heard the voice of the Lord. This one book that I read and uh, some of the things that I read about it said that they the Jewish scribes said that they actually saw the voice of God. They saw with their eyes. They saw the voice of God in the thunderings, in the fire, and in the smoke. They saw the voice of God. And, and you look at Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came. It says they saw tongues as of fire on each of them. So the first Pentecost, there's fire, and there's a tongue from God speaking to the people, and they heard him, and they said, whoa, we're scared. He said here, there was blackness and darkness and tempest, and that sound of a trumpet, the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged it, the words should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was that sight, was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Verse 22, but you have come. Can we get an amen for a conjunction? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? You get an amen for a conjunction, but you have come to Mount Zion. And the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Come on. That ought to get you stirred up. You think he was a little stirred up? I think he was. <laughs> registered in heaven to the God, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Mm. To Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. He said, we've not come to that mountain, Mount Sinai, where the law was given. Thank God Paul had that revelation that we're not under law, we're under grace. Law was given to show men their need of God, not to make them able to be right with God. Are you with me? So the law is not bad. Trying to keep the law, you cannot do. It's impossible. No one other than Jesus ever kept the law. So the law wasn't given for us to keep. It was given for us to show. That sounds bad. Let me clarify that. Somebody misquote me. It was given to show we couldn't keep. God knew when he gave it that we couldn't keep it. So he said there's something that has to change, and it's Jesus, and he's coming. He's coming. So the prophets begin to prophesy. He's coming. And here's what he's looking like. He'll be born of a virgin. Here's where he'll grow up. He'll grow up in Nazareth. And, and uh, here's uh, what he'll do. He'll, he'll do miracles. 
that all that was prophesied about what Jesus was like. So when Jesus came at the exact time and fulfilled this, he said, we don't go back to that mountain of the law anymore. Now we go to the mountain of Zion, which is the hill of grace, where Jesus gave his life in our place, that hill of grace. That's where we've come. And he said, that's where we are. We've come to Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. And as I was thinking about that and thinking about Jesus, uh, because he said in, in John 14, greater works than these will you do because I go to my Father, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it is. <laughs> I was just saying that to give you a place to shake, nod, wake up or something. It wasn't like I didn't know. He said, greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. So he wanted him to know that I'm going to my Father. It's important that I go. As I go, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to empower you. He's going to empower you to be a witness for me here, right here, right now. And he said, so we've come to this hill. And as I was, I was thinking that, I was thinking of... Uh, Another scripture that Mark shared when we met this week and taught was Luke chapter 4. Now, I remember the first time I ever really preached outdoors uh, evangelistically at the church that I was at. Uh, we were doing an outreach to an um, inner city community. It was a housing development for uh, government housing. And we set up this big tractor trailer flatbed and we brought Faith Force out and uh, they broke stuff and, and all that cool stuff. And then I preached, and what I preached was Luke chapter 4, where Jesus stood uh, in Luke chapter 4. It said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Um, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And what's happening here, what preceded this we're going to back up a few verses because Jesus said, this is what you're supposed to look like. Are you with me? I'm reading this because Jesus said, this is what you're supposed to look like. This is what I came to do. This is what you're supposed to look like. And, uh, but it, in the first part of chapter 4, when you look at that, uh, verse 1 says this, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus being what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem till you're what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's Jesus. He was alive 30 years, did no miracles until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was on the day uh, of his baptism. You know, we... John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right, right, right. The Lamb of God who takes, focus, come on, squirrel, focus. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John came and he said, I'm not worthy to undo your shoes, much less to baptize you. He said, nope, it's got to be, for it to be fulfilled, you've got to baptize me. So he baptized Jesus. Jesus came up out of the water. And what happened? It says the, the heavens were rent. You know, for a long time, the church has prayed, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. That's an old covenant prayer that was fulfilled in Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens were rent. When it says the heavens were opened, it's that exact word. They were rent. They were torn apart, not to be put back together, just like the veil when he died and said, it is finished. It was torn apart. Why? 
because his spirit had come. So we don't, we don't have a closed heaven. If someone taught you through intercessory prayer that there's a closed, we've got to bombard heaven because heaven is shut up. That's an, a lie. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to offend anyone. It's a lie. Heaven is not closed. It has an open sign that never goes off because what, when Jesus was baptized, heaven was open, never to be shut again. If there's a, if there's a shut up heaven in you, it's in your mind. Wow. You've closed the door through a wrong mindset or a wrong belief. Amen. So heaven is not shut. Jesus was baptized. And you know what's so amazing? Right there in that one passage, we've got, we've got Jesus the Lamb being revealed, and we've got Pentecost being experienced because the Spirit was poured out on Jesus. And Luke 4, verse 1 says, and when Jesus... After being filled with the Holy Spirit, he went in, and what happened? We all know that he was led into the wilderness. The, the enemy tempted him for 40 days. He was tempted. He was tempted. He didn't sin. And I, I, as I was looking at that, when you, when you look at what took place, the Lord showed this to me one time. I wrote it in my Bible. The first thing the enemy did is he tempted his identity. He, he had, wanted him to question his identity in verse 3. In verse 7, he, wanted him to, uh, he questioned his authority. In verse 9, he's questioned his security. Go read it. It's good. He, he, he questioned his identity first. It, that's where it all starts. It all starts with your identity. If We've been talking about Ephesians. If you, if you have heard anything I've said for the past month, I've been in Ephesians. 1 through 3 deals with our who. It deals with our identity. 4 through 6 deals with the the do. And I was looking at that as I was praying and preparing for today. And the Lord said, there's, there's Passover and Pentecost right there. The two feasts that have been fulfilled in the life of Jesus, uh, the important feast that they were to keep was, was Passover when he was the Lamb of God slain for us, which brings his peace. And then Pentecost, which brings his power. And so many, so many have settled for the peace and just waiting for him to come in power instead of saying, God, you've given me power to stand with you. And he said here, when Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, listen, uh, uh, stay with me. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I'm not going to read all that about how he was tempted. We get over to verse 16. We go to 14. Let's go to 14. Uh, 14, then Jesus returned. How did he return? In the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went, through, went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So when Jesus came out of that temptation, he came out how? In power. You listen, that ought to be a testimony and encouragement to us. When you go through a tough spot, you know what God wants you to come out in? Not defeated and broken and whipped. He wants you to come out in power. He wants you to come out in power. He wants you to go in uh, and come out stronger than you went in. And when we rest in him, when we build ourselves up in Jude 20, that's what happens. But look right here. He said, so verse 16, so when Jesus came to Nazareth when he, where he was brought up, as his custom was, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So that tells us some things. So here's Jesus. He came, came back to his hometown. And when he went back to his hometown, he went to church. 
Okay, it was the synagogue. It was the local assembly. That's where he went. He went to church, which was what? His custom. Okay, I'm not going to preach on this, but Jesus wasn't a stranger to the house of the Lord. Wow. Jesus was accustomed to being in the synagogue, reading the scriptures, hearing the scriptures. There's importance there. That's why in Hebrews it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, uh, I could go so far with that. I'm going to leave it. Whoa. Settle down, Cody. He went in this, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. So Jesus comes in to do what he does, what he's been doing for 30 years, right? It's where he grew up. He worked there with his dad as a carpenter and he was at his local church and he came in and he was doing what he normally did. And uh, he went into the synagogue as was his custom or what he did. You know, and that's what walk means. You know, we've been talking about walk, peripateo. And what it means is, is your manner of living, what's customary, what's familiar to you. The, the, the way that you live your life, it's so familiar, you do it without thinking. And he said Jesus was doing that when he went back to the synagogue. He said this is normal. It's, it, wasn't, it wasn't because of, dun, 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 I'm the son of God. I have Holy Spirit. I'm back. <laughs> it wasn't that. He went back where he had been going. Are you with me? And when he went in, he said they handed him the book and it was already in Isaiah. How cool is that, right? It was in Isaiah. And so Jesus stood to read and guess where it was? It was at this place. He found the place where they were reading and Jesus read. Coincidence, right? No. I mean, man, if you didn't hear my, the message on Passover and how intricate it was, go back and listen to it on, uh, a few weeks ago. I don't know when it was. It was good though. I was blessed. <laughs> He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, listen to this. So chronologically, what has happened? Jesus gets baptized, right? Yeah, I'm not trying to mislead. It's not trick questions. Work with me, okay? Jesus is baptized. The heavens open. The spirit comes, right? He goes 40 days. He's in the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. He comes out how? In the spirit, in power, he comes out in the galley. So he goes back to his hometown. He goes to, which is familiar to him, what he's been doing his whole life. He goes back to the synagogue. But this time he stands up and he reads where they've handed him the, the scroll and said, here's where you're to read. And he read it and everything's good, but they were amazed at how gracious his words were and how he spoke. You know, I believe Jesus spoke about it in a personal manner, not just, and thus says the word of the Lord. It wasn't like that. He had passion, and he, he embodied the passage because it was life to him, and he knew it was speaking of him. So he spoke, I believe, like me, with passion. I speak like him, with passion. So he spoke, and they were amazed, like, man, that's good. You know, you go to church, you go, dude, that's a good word. That's a good word. On Tuesday, ask him, dude, what was Sunday? <laughs> I don't know. It's good. I know, man. Woo, rock me to the core. 
What was it? I don't know. You can get the podcast. Check it out. You should listen. It's good. You should listen. <laughs> they said, man, that's a good word. Then Jesus said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They marveled. Then he said to this. He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever you have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Chronologically, had he been there yet? No. What happened in Capernaum? That's where he did the most of his miracles. That's where he will see because that's where he goes. But he goes there and, and Peter's mother-in-law gets healed. Well, let's just look. I don't have to tell you that's what happened. I'm not going to read uh, all that. Well, I'm going to read a little more. Verse 24, and he said, Surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel. Oh, this is awesome. This is so good. Thank you, Lord. You didn't let me skip over this. It's so good. He's good. He said, but I tell you truly, many widows were in uh, Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But none of them uh, was, uh, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Verse 28. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. That means inflammatory rage, exploding anger, turbulent commotion. <laughs> they won't happy. Why? I mean, he just said, today the scriptures fulfilled in your ears. I'm the son of God, is what he was saying. And they were like, hmm, that's confusing. Isn't this is Joseph's son? But then he said, you know, you're going to say, do here, physician, heal yourself. Do here what you've done in Capernaum, which he hadn't done yet. He hadn't done any miracles in Capernaum yet. But they said, he said, here's what you're going to say. And then he goes on to say this. Weren't there other widows during that famine? And weren't there other lepers? You know what these two people were? They were Gentiles. You know what Jesus was saying? He, he was saying this. You don't accept me because I'm in my hometown. He said, you're not accepting me. You don't accept the words that I'm saying. So I want you to know that I'm going to, go to, I'm going to a people who will accept me. They're the Gentiles. You're going to reject me, but the Gentiles will accept me. And they were like, they were moved to explosive anger. It wasn't like they looked at their neighbor and go, I really don't appreciate him saying that. And look at the neighbor and said, that makes me feel a little angry. That was not what was going on. It was explosive anger. They were, look, it goes on to say, verse 29, and, he, and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of a hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. They was not happy. They were not happy. They were going to kill the man. Why? Because he said, you know, God could have touched the Jews, but he didn't. He chose to touch the Gentiles. They knew what he was saying, and it angered them. But he prefaced it by saying, you don't accept me, but there's a people who will accept me that you don't accept. So it angered them, and they were going to kill him. But here's what I love, and I believe that this is something that we, I don't understand. I don't have all the answers. I know I don't have all the answers, and I'm, I'm comfortable in that place. Not that I don't want answers. I still pr pursue answers, but I'm comfortable with the mystery of God that there's place to grow in my understanding that I don't understand. But I believe this right here. And they, verse 30, then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. I believe there's an anointing, there's a power, there's a presence that you can walk through people who want to kill you. 
physically take your life and you can walk through them and they don't even know where you go. He said, greater works than these shall you do because I go. They angrily thrust him out of the synagogue, took him to the brow of the hill, and he allowed all of that. But when it came to that place, he just walked through their midst. And they were like, what happened? Where'd he go? What happened? He said he walked through their midst. He didn't allow them to kill him. And uh, verse 31, then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, and his word was with the authority thought was with authority. Now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. If you look at Mark's gospel, this is the first miracle recorded in Mark's gospel. It's when Jesus comes out of the wilderness. He, we know here that he taught in the synagogue. They wanted to kill him. <laughs> so he goes to Capernaum. He goes down to Capernaum. And you know what he encounters in church first off? A devil, a demoniac. And you know what's amazing? The people, listen, the people in his hometown who were in the synagogue, they was in church. They was in church. They should have known who Jesus looked. They read the scriptures all the time. They should have known what Jesus was going to look like, who he was, how he was coming. They should have known all of that. They didn't recognize it, but he goes to church and meets a demon, and who knew who he was? The demon. Isn't that sad? That the, the religious realm of the day, didn't know who he was, but the enemy did. Now there was a synagogue, a man who had a spirit of unclean demons, and he cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? You know, I think that's important because where did he just come from? And what did they say? Get out. He acknowledged who he was, where he had from where he was from. Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. Then he declares what? The Holy One of God. I know who you are in the natural. I know who you are in the spirit. But Jesus rebuked him, said, be quiet, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in the midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. They were all amazed and spoke among themselves saying, what a word this is. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) There's an exclamation point in my Bible. So they didn't go, Man, that's a pretty cool word. They were looking at each other going, what the world is going on? What just happened? Did you see that? Okay, that's my annotated version. <laughs> Animated version. For we, with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they, came, they come out. And the report about him went into every place in the surrounding region. Verse 38, he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. That's a quick recovery right there. Verse 40, when the sun was setting, all those who had had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on them, on every one of them, and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them and did not allow them to speak, for they knew he was the Christ. He told them, he said, You're going to say, Physician, heal yourself. Do hear what you did in Capernaum. He hadn't, he hadn't done anything in Capernaum yet. But he said, he was prophesying to them, I'm going to Capernaum and I'm going to do some stuff. And you're going to hear about it, and you're going to say, why don't you do this for yourself? Talking about when he went to the cross. Why don't you heal yourself? Why don't you save yourself? But he came to die. He was born to die. But the context of all of this, I'm closing. 
context of all this from Luke 4 to 41, where I just was right here, ties in beautifully with what we've been talking about in Ephesians. It ties in beautifully with today being the day of Pentecost because Luke 4, 1 says Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, he went in power. When he came out of the temptation, he came out in power. And he went, and when he was rejected, he didn't leave dejected or rejected when they rejected him. He left in power. And he went to Capernaum, and he spoke with power and cast out a devil with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then he went down and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And after he healed Peter's mother-in-law, they brought to him all that were sick. And I've been there in Capernaum where there's a, some type of church built over what they think was the ruins of Peter's mother-in-law's house. And it's literally from here to across the street from the door of the synagogue, which the ruins of the synagogue are still there. It's no further than here to the street down to where they believe was Peter's mother-in-law's house. That Jesus walked, cast the devil out, walked out of the synagogue, and it said when he walked out, the noise of him abroad went abroad everywhere. So what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. I believe as we, the church, cut our lights back on, the noise of Jesus will be abroad everywhere. It won't be because of our programs. It won't be because of our protests. It'll be because of Pentecost. It'll be because the power of the living God who lives in us with signs accompanying as the disciples went out. That's what happened. When you read Mark chapter 16, it said that these signs will follow them that believe. You'll lay hands on the sick. You'll cast out devils. You'll speak with new tongues. Thank you. Thank you. Holy Ghost. I'm going to close. I promise. I said I was going to read Jude 20. I'm going to read Jude 20. 20 through 25, and I'll close with this. Because Jesus demonstrated here the power of the Holy Spirit and what it looks like in the life of a believer. He didn't do it to impress us. He did it to empower us. And in Jude 20, he said, he told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. Here's Peter, and I'm not going to preach all that, but we see Peter in Acts 2 that he went in, he was timid. He had denied Jesus, swore, cursed, said, I don't know the man. And then on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, when that wind from heaven came in and it shook Peter and filled Peter with the power of God, he came out in the power, in the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit, and he began to share with compassion and with power and preach to the people. The very people he had denied Jesus to, that he had hidden from, he began to proclaim Jesus to. And we see that power released and Jesus saying, this is the power that I've placed on the inside of you. That's why you had to wait here until it came. But one of the things that he gave is he said, you will speak, Mark chapter 16 and Acts chapter 2, you'll speak with other tongues, with new tongues. Why is that important? Jude 20. Just one scripture. Isaiah talks about it. This is the rest. This is the refreshing. But here he said, but you, beloved, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. He's talking about praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit. Paul said in Corinthians, I thank God I pray in tongues more than you all. Paul went on to say, don't forbid anyone to speak in tongues. So if you were brought up saying tongues is wrong and people shouldn't do it, you're in direct violation and contradiction to the Word of God. Direct contradiction to the Word of God. Hallelujah. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So he said, as you pray in the Holy Spirit, you build yourself up and you keep yourself in the love of God. So if you say, I have a problem loving people, I say, you're not praying in the Spirit. 
We don't need to pray for love. Love's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Romans chapter 5. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So you've got the love of God. It's in you. You just got to let it out. If you have a problem letting it out, you know what you need to do? Pray in tongues. (laughs) Thank you, Tish. (laughs) You need to pray in the Holy Ghost. You, beloved brethren, building yourselves up in your your most holy faith, praying in in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our, our Lord Jesus Christ unto the eternal life. On on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. You know what he's saying here? When we talk about being a light in the world, we talk about being a witness, we go, oh God, just pray. Pray for me that I'd be a witness. Pray that I'd be a witness in my workplace or wherever. Pray. You know what you need to do? You need to pray in the Holy Ghost. Because he said, when you pray in the Holy Ghost, you build yourself up. And that word yourself doesn't mean your spirit, man. It means your total being. When you study the word in the Greek, it means spirit, soul, and body is built up when you pray in the Holy Ghost. You're not feeling well, you know what you need to do? Pray in the Holy Ghost. Is that the answer for everything? Yes. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Because your mind doesn't understand what's going on. It's your spirit. Pray and make an intercession for you. If you get discouraged, you know one of the first things the enemy will tell you to stop doing? Praying in the Holy Ghost. That's just you just making that up. It ain't doing any good. You don't even know what you're saying. You sound like a fool. Some have compassion, making a distinction. He said when you pray in the Holy Ghost and you keep yourself in the love, in the love of God, when you go to minister to people, he said there'll be some you're just overwhelmed with compassion. And you'll minister to them out of compassion. And he said, there are others. You'll see how the, lev- the devil has defeated them and lied to them, and they've bought into it. And he said, he said, you'll be angry at the devil, not at them. What did he say? But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. He said, there are others. You'll look at them, and they'll just have to be sh- shaken to the core with the truth of the word. And he said, you, when you pray in the spirit, you'll know the difference. You know where the church is missing? They cut the light out. So they just went out and they condemned everybody. Evangelism was you're going to hell. You're going to hell, you already smell like it. That's evangelism. You know why? Because they didn't pray in the Holy Ghost. They didn't know when to walk in compassion and when to walk in the fear of the Lord. Amen. Jude said it's important. Listen, I'm going to close with this right here, I promise Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. All that's in the context of but you build yourselves up in your most holy faith. He said, what happens when you build yourself up in your most holy faith? You know what happens when you build yourself in your most holy faith? I said that really fast, didn't I? He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. What was Pentecost about? Why are we Pentecostal in belief, not in denomination? Because he said it's important you wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. Because it's not just weird. It's not weirdness, just weirdness. It's not weirdness. It's power. And a manifestation of that power is the gift of tongues. And when you pray in tongues, you build yourself up. You keep yourself in the love of God. When you pray in tongues, you'll know how to minister the power of God. And not just that, it'll keep you faultless. Amen. 